Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning, everyone. Great to have you here this morning. Why don't you find your seat? Thanks, Samuel. Wave to you as well, mate. Hey, I don't know what brought you to church today. I want to suggest that some of us woke up this morning and uh, this is just what we do on Sundays and have done for a long time. And so some of us woke up and thought, I can't wait to go to church. It's my favourite thing of the week. I catch up with all my friends. I heard James's worship leading. I heard someone else's preaching, but I can cope for the next kind of 30 minutes. A little disappointment, but that's all right. And I just can't wait to make a coffee with someone at the end and catch up. They just, maybe that's your experience of coming to church. Maybe you woke up and this is what you do every Sunday and you woke up and you thought, oh, it's Sunday again. Time to get up. Come on. Come on, kids. Get out of bed. Make breakfast. Make your bed. Get in the car. And uh, even though you didn't have the same excitement as the person sitting next to you, this is just part of the discipline routine of what happens for you. Maybe for some of you this morning, you've been working up for this moment for weeks because the thought of turning up somewhere unfamiliar with a whole bunch of people you don't know and being in the crowds just, it creates, you know, an anxiety in you. I don't know what your circumstances were for coming here today. I'm gonna look at a story in the Scripture that tells the story of two people that woke up one morning and by the end of the day, their life had been transformed because they had an encounter with Jesus. And here's the thing, right? Sometimes what Jesus wants to do in us is a process. All of us right now that have made a faith have made a decision to put our faith in Jesus. We are works in progress. God's doing something new in us. He's doing something transformative in us. He's restoring us. And it's a day by day, week by week, year by year exercise where hopefully over time, our lives become more aligned with the life of Christ. But there are moments where Jesus breaks into some people's world and the person they were in the morning is very different from the person they are when they go to sleep that night. We're gonna look at two of those stories today. But before we do, I don't want this just to be a Sunday school lesson of old time's sake where I inform you of a whole bunch of stuff in the Scripture. I wanna give you the opportunity to say to Jesus, if that needs to be my story today, I'm open to it. Because I walked in here this morning just saying, well, God, we're looking at this story, but I actually wonder if there's someone sitting here right now and you have zero expectation of it, but by the time you put your head on your pillow tonight, Jesus is gonna have done something in your life that you didn't see coming, you didn't expect, but that's His grace at work in us. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I just wanna ask right now, if you might have the courage to say, well, Jesus, if you need to do something today, I'm ready to listen. I'm open to hear, I'm willing to respond, whatever it looks like, here I am. And Soph's already prayed one of those prayers. You're gonna stole my prayer for this morning. So, but I reckon that's just sometimes how God speaks. And so I'm gonna pray before we jump into the Word this morning. And, and my invitation is this. Would you just say in this moment, Jesus, if there's something for me today, Maybe today is just another part of your process of what God's doing in you, but maybe for some of us today, it's gonna be that transformational moment. If you're open to whatever God wants, why don't you just pray with me uh, in your heart, just 
acknowledge this prayer as your own and then we'll let God do what he wants to do. Father God, we just wanna thank you for your grace. We wanna thank you for your mercy and your compassion. Thank you that you are constantly at work in us, through us, around us, even when we don't see it, recognise it or acknowledge it. But Father, thank you that for lots of us, there's been moments where you've just broken in, even to the most mundane moments of our life and you've done something spectacular. And Jesus, I just wanna pray this morning that we would come with open hearts and say, here I am, Lord, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to say, whatever I need to hear, I'm here and I'm open and I'm responsive. And so Jesus, we just give you permission by the power of your Holy Spirit to do a good work in us today, to speak clearly, to take my humble words and God to use them in a supernatural sense to speak directly into a whole bunch of different circumstances today. God, bring your word alive to us. Thank you that you are present with us. God, that you want to touch people's lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we're going to jump straight into the Scripture today. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5. This is our Encounters series, looking at the encounters people had with Jesus. And Mark 5 verse 21 says this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around Him while He was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders a man named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His cloak because she thought, if I just touch His clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see, the people crying against you, his disciples answered, and you, and you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I wanna ask the question, where were you in 2007? You can cast their mind back. Is there anyone here that wasn't born in 2007? I think we just sent them all out that way. That whole crew, 
Most of them were not born in 2007. Where were you in 2007? Let me jog your memory about some things that were happening around about us in 2007. John Howard was still the Prime Minister of Australia this time 12 years ago. At the end of 2007, the great juggernaut campaign of Kevin 07 came through and swept into power. Kevin Rudd in November became our nation's leader. That's John Howard. Because Peter Beattie was the Premier of Queensland in 2007. But it was also the year that he handed over the reins to Anna Bly, who you see standing behind him, who became the first female Premier of Queensland. In the tech world, for those of you that care little about politics, the PlayStation 3 was launched to the market. More than that, in the January of 2007, a man by the name of Steve Jobs stood on a stage somewhere in America, held up this little device and declared the beginning of the iPhone. Who got the very first iPhone? Pete, I was looking at Justin Murray. I can't believe he's like the tech nerd of this place. 2007, the evolution of the iPhone. In uh, 2007, we saw the beginnings of the global financial crisis. It was more recognised to have really hit uh, with a vengeance in 2008, but things were starting to move in 2007 that led to the beginning of the global financial crisis. On the sporting front locally here, the ever-conquering Gold Coast Titans made their appearance in the NRL for the very first time. Gateway Ormo was not even a twinkle in the eye of Gateway Mackenzie and the main family had two children, both of preschool age, and I had hair. <laughs> Who needs face app software? Just let the years do their work is all I can say. Chrissy doesn't look like she's aged today. I look like I've aged 100 years. <laughs> 2007 seemed like a really long time ago. Think about where you were in 2007. What's significant about 2007? Absolutely nothing for this story, apart from the fact that it was 12 years ago. And for the two people in this story, 12 years is a very significant number. For one, the first, a lady, it was 12 years ago that something started changing in her body. And she started to have an issue where she was bleeding. And this wasn't just a normal thing that you expect. Something that started seemingly as something quite normal continued. And for 12 years now, she had lived with this condition that she didn't understand, that no one in her uh, network understood. The Bible tells us she spent heaps of money and time seeking every piece of human wisdom to find healing. Yet every bit of money she spent only led to her feeling worse. You see, 12 years ago was the moment when her life changed forever. It affected her social relationships. It affected her capacity to find, uh, to build relationships, to be connected in society, probably to make an income. It affected the way she saw herself and the way that people saw her. It was 12 years of pain, suffering, isolation and hopelessness. 12 years is a long time. 
The other character in the story, a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus, 12 years ago was the moment that he welcomed his daughter into the world full of joy and hope and celebration. I love how Mark in brackets at the end of this makes the point that the daughter was 12 years old. He's almost like, man, how miraculous on this day where one lady's journey started, a journey of pain and suffering on that same year, 12 years ago, a child was born to Jairus who on this day, is at her last and at her end. And Jairus feels it from a different perspective. You see, the first 12 years, I'm sure, were filled with the joy of seeing a young child grow. But now, in tragic circumstances, we're filled with the pain of seeing a life cut short. See, 12 years is a long time. And these are great stories of people in this moment that encounter Jesus at this critical mark in their story. The question I wanna ask us today is where are you gonna find yourself in this story? I don't want this to be a story of people a couple of thousand years ago. I wanna ask the question of where do we find ourselves in the story? Maybe some of us today are gonna align with the lady who had an issue of blood. Our issue may not be 12 years of bleeding, Actually, I doubt that many of us, if any of us, that is our issue. But I wonder if for some of us today, our story is about something that we've carried for so long that we can't remember life without it. For this lady, I imagine her entire life and the entire narrative around her life was now clouded by this condition that overwhelmed everything. I wonder how many of us here today sit with a narrative or a story or a circumstance or something that we carry that has overwhelmed every aspect of our life and has become the dominant narrative for us today. It might be words that someone spoke over you a long time ago that have actually shaped a sense of who you are, maybe have impacted your identity, the way you see yourself and the way you embrace the world. Maybe it's some words that just sucked the life and the confidence out of you. Maybe there was an an event that happened. Maybe it was sin or someone else's sin. And when you wake up every day, that moment that happened so long ago has become the dominant narrative of your life. I wonder for how many of us today we are identify with the woman because our life has become overwhelmed with a narrative that not only overwhelms every moment, but sucks hope out of our future. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's brokenness that's come through sin, maybe it's a relationship that for so long has felt so toxic that we can't see any hope in it. What is the narrative that you have that stopped you believing that life could look different from the life that it lives right now. Maybe for some of us, we don't align or or, or kind of feel a connection to the lady in this story. Maybe we feel a greater connection to Jairus because our life seemed to be going on really well and then all of a sudden tragedy struck. We didn't see it coming, it was unexpected. We had great hope, things were going really well and our anticipation and hope for the future was great. I'm sure Jairus looked at his daughter and just had great dreams, hopes and ambitions for what life would look like but something's happened in this moment where it's all come crashing down and maybe that's your story. Maybe there's some circumstances that have come from left of field, you didn't expect them, you didn't see them coming, but right now it's overwhelming everything about this moment and sucking the life and the hope out of your future. 
You see, on the surface, we could just read these two stories as miracles of healing, and they are miracles of healing and actually miracles of resurrection. But I wanna go deeper than that today. I don't wanna lose the fact that Jesus can touch our life and bring healing in this moment. But if that's the only lesson we draw out of this, I think some of us are gonna miss out on the thing that God wants to say. See, healing's one of those funny topics, isn't it? Like in some ways, I reckon it'd be easier if God didn't heal today, but He does. I've seen it. I've seen it happen in this place. I've seen it happen in my own life and those close to me. But I've also prayed for healing fervently for people that have never seen anything change. I don't understand it. I can't make sense of it. But God, in His sovereignty and His mercy, still touches people's lives and changes things physically. But these stories aren't just about a momentary change in circumstance, even though they are that as well. But they're that and more. It's strange that at the end of this, Jesus says to everyone after someone's just been healed of an issue of 12 years of bleeding and raised back to life, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Like if that happens today, we're like, who can we tell? Who can we tell? Where can we share that story? Jesus says, don't tell anyone. And I think the reason Jesus says, don't tell anyone isn't that what happened wasn't very real and very important. See, what we get in these moments is a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. You see, when Jesus touches your life, everything changes. But Jesus knew that his mission wasn't about bringing just hope and healing to the sick in one period of history. His, his mission was about a hope and a healing that's all encompassing. It's not a temporary hope and healing. It's a timeless hope and healing that envelopes not just the people in this story, but envelopes us today. And when Jesus touches your life and my life, guess what? We can look forward to a different tomorrow, but we can look forward to a different eternity. And that was Jesus' ministry. And He didn't want things to become a distraction from the very thing that God called Him to do that was gonna be for all people at all time. But it doesn't take away from the fact that in this moment, the very touch of Jesus changes everything. And today's an invitation to allow Jesus to minister deeply to the things in us that we've given up on. Let me kind of just turn the screw a little bit. Maybe for some of us here today, we've given up on believing that we could have a ministry that affects people. We've looked at others and we've craved what they do, but we've got a narrative in our life that says that could never be me. And so we've given up on some of the dreams that God's placed in our heart about how He could use us to make a difference in the lives of others. Well, maybe today God by a touch wants to transform something in you that means your past narrative is not the one that you carry into your future narrative. I wonder for some of us today whether it is a physical thing in our body that we've carried in here today. And we've prayed and we've cried out to God many times that we've just given up believing that the future could look different from the present. And at the end of our service today, we are gonna pray for people that they might experience the healing touch of Jesus. Maybe for some of us today, We've given up on our marriage or we've given up on our kids or we've given up on our health or we've given up on our dreams, our hopes and our ambitions. I wanna give you an invitation today that when Jesus touches your life, your future narrative looks very different from the present and the past one. So let me frame the lessons from today's story into four questions that I want you to ask of yourself. And the first one is this. Does shame or guilt keep you from Jesus? Does shame or guilt keep you from Jesus? 
See, I reckon one of the things that a lot of us live is this belief that we're too messed up for Jesus to want to have anything to do with us. That we've made so many mistakes, that our life is so broken, that we've made so many dumb relationship choices. And, you know, like we don't want to get close because we're convinced that Jesus is going to look at us and reject us because of our life. We're convinced that our behaviour is the very thing that God is distant from. That could not be further from the truth. The two circumstances in this story aren't about people not wanting to come near Jesus because of sin or behaviours in their life. But both these stories speak to something very deep and profound about the way people were viewed in society. The the woman with the issue of blood, let me give you some context. This was more than just a physical issue that she dealt with. In the world that she lived in, in the culture that she was a part of, the law dictated that if you had this condition, you were seen as unclean. And so you were declared by everybody as unclean. Let me take you back to uh, the, the law of Moses and tell you what it said about people that had an issue with blood. Leviticus 15, I'm just paraphrasing part of this passage. From verse 25, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, she'll be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. Could that passage say the word unclean any more times? So for this lady... 12 years, the dominant narrative of her life was unclean. Everywhere she went, even the things she touched were now deemed as unclean. And the people that she encountered were seen as unclean. So she was now getting used to a life that didn't touch anyone, wasn't touched by anyone, And didn't want to be near anyone because of the shame that sat over her life because of something she had no control over. Yet something in this moment causes her to go public with her issue and to touch Jesus. What's that say about Jesus? Does Jesus turn around and go, get away from me, you dirty woman. I now need to go and bathe myself and isolate myself. No, 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 no. Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, This is words of compassion. Daughter, your faith has healed you. But the first step for her was actually drawing near to Jesus because of the shame that sat over her life. What about for Jairus? The Bible also tells us, uh, Old Testament law dictated that, that to deal with a corpse or to deal with a dead body actually rendered you significantly unclean. So when Jairus comes to Jesus and says, Jairus, my daughter is dying, he hopes that Jesus gets in in time. But before Jesus even gets there, his friends come and say, Jairus, just leave the guy alone. He's going to deal with a corpse. And no good Jewish man would want to touch a corpse. Why? Numbers chapter 19. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with water on the third day. And on the seventh day, they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh day, they will not be be clean. Then it goes on to say, and if they don't become clean, cut them off from the assembly. There's something significant about inviting somebody in to the place where they're gonna touch a corpse. And so Jesus is confronted 
As a Jewish man with two significant scenarios, one with a lady that he shouldn't touch and one with a child that he shouldn't touch. And what does Jesus do in both those circumstances? He does the thing that everyone else doesn't do. He touches their life. You see, if you're here today and the dominant narrative of your life is the narrative of shame, I wanna say that is not a narrative that Jesus wants to speak over your life. See, God actually doesn't wanna distance us because of our brokenness. It's the very reason that He walked on this earth. Jesus Himself said these words, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus doesn't want you to stay distant because of your guilt and your shame. He actually wants you to pursue Him because He knows in a moment He can free you from the very things that keep you captive. And so if it's shame in your story that's the thing that's keeping you distant from God, let me tell you one thing, it's not God that's creating the distance. He's actually doing everything to open up the path and say, come, come close, come close. I'm not scared by your mess. I'm not scared by your brokenness. I don't care about your story. I don't care how unclean everybody else thinks about you. Actually, I want you to draw near because when I touch your life, Forgiveness, grace, mercy, healing, wholeness is gonna flow. I wanna ask the question, is it shame and guilt that's the thing that's holding you back from drawing near to Jesus? Well, the invitation today is don't let the distance become something that you create because it's not a distance that God created. God actually navigated a significant difference from the glory of heaven to the muck of earth to get mixed up in your brokenness. The second question I wanna ask, is two questions, is this, are you desperate for Jesus' touch? And do you have the courage to approach and ask? See, it's, it's one thing to say that our guilt and our shame keeps us away. It's another thing then to actually go, well, I'm gonna go anyway. Imagine the narrative for the woman with the issue of blood sitting in her room that day thinking, I hear Jesus is coming. I've heard some cool stories. There's been whispers on the streets about what he's gonna do. But for me to go there, I'm gonna have to push myself through a crowd to get near him. I can't do that. She goes, yes, I can. Because I do not wanna live with this thing that I've carried. And if there's somebody that can make a difference, I'll throw off all convention, I'll throw off all dignity, I'll throw off all social norm and I'll pursue Jesus because you know what? I just wanna receive wholeness and healing from His touch. Jairus, we're told, is a synagogue leader, a respected gentleman in the community and he does something that respected leaders don't do. He races to the feet of a guy that everybody else had questions about. He falls on his knees before him and he begs. See, I wonder if for a whole bunch of us, the thing that keeps us from encountering Jesus is our own pride. Some of us are like Jairus and we know that there's some things that Jesus could do in our life, but we tell ourselves that we need to maintain our dignity, our respect and how everybody else thinks about us. And I wanna say this, I don't wanna stereotype this, but I reckon there's some blokes here today that the very thing that holds you back from encountering the fullness of what God wants to do in you is this pride that says, I can't let anything be given away that there's something going on inside that's not right. 
But Jairus gets to the point, doesn't he, where his daughter is dying. If you're a parent here today and you have a sense that there could be someone that would heal your dying child, man, you throw off all dignity in those circumstances, don't you? You you will go to any length to see that circumstance changed. Well, what if Jesus today is inviting us to go to any length to have some of the things in our life transformed and the only thing that's getting in the way is not the distance that He creates, but is our pride. And some of us are gonna go through life having everyone else think that we're okay, but living empty, hollow, broken lives on the inside, but it's okay because everybody on Facebook thinks that you've got it all together. What kind of life is that? Jairus just throws off dignity and goes, I just reckon in his mind he's going, stuff it. I don't care what they think. If Jesus can heal my daughter, well, they can throw their opinion somewhere else, but I'm just here to just find healing for what's going on in my life. I just wanna say to you this morning, two things. You know, we live in a culture where we think that we can sort ourselves out. And it's only when our circumstances fall apart and there's no other option that many of us actually fall at the feet of Jesus. It's why you see church attendance and faith engagement rise when there's great crisis and disasters. Why? Because people realise all of a sudden that in the world wasn't revolving because they were making it revolve, but the world was revolving because God was in control and maybe it's time that we gave Him a bit more time and credibility for it. But some of us think that if we stop, the world's gonna stop. We've actually elevated ourselves to a greater level of importance than any of us actually have. And Jesus says, why don't you come fall at my feet? I'm gonna do something in you that's gonna transform you and your life will never look the same again. I wanna encourage us, let's not leave desperation to the last resort. Let's not get desperate for Jesus when everything else falls apart. Let's learn to live desperate for Jesus when everything seems to be together. Let's live from a place of believing that Jesus is greater than even the greatest of our circumstances and there is no greater place that we can be than in His presence and encountering His grace and being driven by His love. The second thing I wanna say is this, don't let pride get in the way of you encountering Jesus. I actually wonder if there's some of us here today and our marriage has been in the pits for years, but you know what, we've got too much pride to actually go and seek some help for it because we don't actually want to admit that our marriage isn't together. Just suck up your pride. Go and find some people that you can speak to that can pour their life and their love and their wisdom into you and do that journey with you. What do you got to lose? You live unhappy for another 10 years and it'll fall apart anyway? Well, you let God into the circumstance and maybe He can do something that you've given up on ages ago. Maybe your health. Maybe you've just given up and believing that there's any way out for your health. And as I said, this is where healing, the rub hits for me because I have these moments of thinking, God, I just, I'm so desperate for, to see you physically touch people's lives. And, but maybe today God's just saying again, don't give up, just keep asking. When the opportunity comes, just don't let your pride get in the way. Run to me, fall at my feet and see what I do. Maybe you've been battling with depression and anxiety or some other significant mental health issues, but you don't want to admit it because that 
you still live by this narrative that says it's weakness. What if God wants to use some others, some people that can help you in that field to actually move forward? Maybe God wants to use others to be his touch in your life. Do not let your pride get in the way of having an encounter with the hope and the healing of Jesus. Question three, where's your faith at? Do you have faith? Even garment touching faith. What do I mean by that? Both these stories suggest to us that there's something that we need to do. The guy comes so far and it's not like he says, I'm gonna make it difficult for you. He says, at some point I need you to lean into this. And he comes so far and he says, okay, what are you gonna do? And in both these stories, faith becomes a defining factor in the outcome. What's a simple definition for faith in both these circumstances? People that just got the point of saying, I believe Jesus can do something cool here. I believe Jesus is bigger than me. I believe Jesus is bigger than my circumstances. And I'm, I just have a belief that Jesus could actually affect my circumstances. Faith makes a difference. But Jesus is so generous that he doesn't ask for us to get to a point where we've got bucket loads of faith does he? He actually says in the Scriptures, Matthew chapter 17, he says, if you even have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's like, it's, I was trying to think of the best way to describe this because it, it kind of feels like God saying, I've got something for you, but, but I need, you know, I've got this great gift for you, but I need something from it, from you. And he says, how much, how much do you want to pay for it? And you say, well, tell me what it's worth. And and he's like, oh, it's a hundred bucks. And you're like, oh, just, that's way too much. And he goes, well, just, have you got 20 bucks in your wallet? Oh, it's way too much. And he ends up going, just give me five cents and I'll give it to you. It's like God is so desperate to give you the gift that he has that he's just like, I just need you to give something. I just need you to lean in somewhere. I just need you just, even if your faith is only as small as a mustard seed, that is all I need to work with. And for this woman, guess what her faith was? It was a garment clutching faith. She didn't even have the courage to walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you pray for me? She just kind of sneaks in the back and Jesus walks past and she just grabs his shirt, hoping that something happens. But she had faith that even if she got that close to Jesus, even if she could just grab his shirt, that something was gonna happen. And guess what? And I, don't, I can make no sense of this story, right? This is one of those crazy, wacky stories that you go, man, I hope my friends don't come to church on the day where someone gets healed from touching someone's shirt. That's one of those wacky stories. But she walks up to Jesus, touches his shirt and an issue that she's lived with for 12 years disappears in an instant. That is not significant faith. That's just garment clutching faith. But guess what? Jesus always invites us to lean in. He just needs us to do something. He actually needs us to go, okay, you've done everything, God. I'll just do my bit. I've just going, okay, I'm here, pray for me. Or I'm here, just, I'll give this a go. Or yes, I'll change that behaviour. It doesn't need to be significant. But faith plays a role in the outcome. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Let me ask you the question. What do you need from Jesus today? What do you need from Jesus today? I reckon a whole bunch of us have answered that question in our spirit. 
And today the invitation is the invitation to move. Don't let your shame or your guilt get in the way of what God wants to do in you this morning. Don't let your pride or your lack of courage to get in the way of what God wants to do in you this morning. All He asks is for just clutch at the garment and see what He does. And we're going to land this a little bit differently this morning. I'm going to invite Bridget to come and join me up on stage. I want to give you a little bit of time this morning to ask the questions. One, where am I in this story? And two, what's my response? Because the prayer we've been praying, our team was praying before the service, and this is the prayer of my spirit today, is that some people here walk out those doors different from the way they walked in those doors. And I can't make any promises because only God can do what needs to happen here this morning. But I've got the faith to believe that we're just gonna clutch at some garments and let God do His best work. But while you ask the question of what God wants to do in you, what I want you to do this morning is just listen to the story of this woman again, just told a bit differently, told a little bit creatively, but place yourself there and ask yourself, where am I in this story? And we're going to pray together. We're going to provide the opportunity for some ministry today. But why don't you just sit and let God speak through these words. Her tears flowed freely, bitter and salty, stinging her eyes and her mouth. She felt her heart racing, almost exploding out of her chest. She was driven on by fear and desperation. As she looked around the crowd, mostly faces she was not familiar with, she saw that there were some she knew. She felt their disapproval and she could sense them withdrawing from her and making sure they put some distance between them and her. She tried to pull herself together, to tell herself that there is hope, that what she was about to do would make a difference pangs of doubt and the sharp pain of rejection overcame her. Her mind wandered and and she was a child again. It had first come as a shock. She had noticed that first flow of blood and raced to her mum, terrified, crying, sure that she was seriously ill. She remembered her mother's kind words and the gentle laughter as she reassured her that it was something very natural. It was all part of God's plan. but it wasn't natural for her. It was bitter and painful and as far from God's plan as she could ever imagine. Her mother had explained to her the rules of their religion and that once the bleeding had stopped, she would need to continue to separate herself from others and be careful who and what she touched for seven days. But the bleeding didn't stop. She had visited doctor after doctor and tried everything, but nothing helped. She exhaled sharply, expelling the pain of the memories which were too strong to keep inside. After the years passed, and with it the hope of a cure, her world, which had seemed so large and so full of colour, 
began to collapse in on her. It shrank smaller and smaller. She couldn't play with others. She couldn't touch things that others would touch. As she grew, she couldn't help the other girls or the women with the work. She'd heard the warning about being unclean so often that it felt like a knife being plunged into her heart each time. Why me? Why, God, why? The noise of the crowd snapped her back into the present. Just ahead, she saw the large crowd that had gathered, for they'd been expecting him. She heard the shouts of welcome and good-natured laughter. It was almost her time. The crowd continued to approach, more and more people joining in the growing throng. She began to wonder how she'd be able to get to him. She began to wonder whether she should. An overwhelming sense of doubt and the fear of rejection, which had been her life's common companion, came upon her so hard that she felt physically struck. She turned away, dry reaching and convulsing. After a few moments, she told herself that she needed to get control. She reminded herself that this was her last chance, her only chance. She felt the colour return to her and she tried to muster up her strength. She felt a growing determination of faith and hope return. It had become, it'd begun as a tiny shoot over the last few days and hours. She'd heard of the miracles and the healings which had taken place. Surely they could extend to her. Hadn't she suffered enough? Was God still so angry with her? But she suddenly realised that something was happening up ahead. The crowd was no longer moving towards her. In the bitterness of the moment, had she missed her opportunity? She moved quickly to get a better view of what was happening. She could see ahead that a man had fallen down at the other man's feet. She didn't recognise him, but heard voices around her saying, it's Jairus, it's Jairus, the synagogue leader. What is he doing? As she looked, the man on the ground seemed to be pleading with him. She couldn't make out what he was saying. She could only hear a few words repeated by the crowd, daughter and house. She could never do what Jairus had done. She could not just walk up and plead with this man. She felt foolish. Why would this person be interested in helping her? Surely he'd just walk straight past and avoid her just like everyone else does. And yet she saw the compassion on the man's face as he listened to Jairus. And although he did not appear to speak, she knew that he cared for him and that whatever Jairus asked for, it would be all right. This filled her with a renewed hope, faith and determination. Suddenly the crowd was on the move again, but to her horror, it was no longer coming towards her. She gathered herself together and headed off to join the now moving crowd. This was her opportunity. She knew she was taking a risk and that she was breaking the laws of her religion, but her desperation drove her on. The crowd was very heavy now. She was not sure how she'd get to him, but she was determined. 
She noticed some people who knew her and they very quickly recoiled from her. They didn't wanna come in contact with her for fear of being unclean. As others noticed their reaction, they did the same, sensing that there was a problem with this woman and likewise not wanting to touch her. Ironically, the very thing that had so disadvantaged her life and caused her so much pain was now helping her. She was getting closer. She could see up ahead that just for a moment he'd slowed down and responded to a comment from someone in the crowd or perhaps one of his disciples. As he turned his head toward them, she could see that he was smiling. He was almost in reach. Hoping against hope, she just thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She came up behind him and reaching out, she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately had an overwhelming sense of healing and wellness. It took her breath away. She knew within herself with absolute certainty that her bleeding had stopped. She'd not felt this way for 12 long years. She felt the crowd slip past her. She saw one or two disapproving looks, people who'd seen what happened, but she didn't care. Suddenly she heard, who touched me? Her initial reaction of relief and joy suddenly turned to fear and guilt. What had she done? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and, and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. What if he rejects me, she thought. What if he inflicts me with something even worse? She couldn't think straight. She was so overcome with fear. She poured out her heart in the presence of all the, all the people and told them why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. With a sense of relief, she headed home praising God. It was as if the nightmare of the last 12 years had been completely erased. How different her life will be now. No longer unclean, no longer an outcast. Her life suddenly felt restored, full of colour, full of hope once again, for she had responded to the faith in her heart and believed that Jesus would make her whole. Will you respond to the seed of faith in your heart? you too can have a new life in Christ. Father God, I just wanna ask in this moment, Lord, as we come to our conclusion of our time together today, God, this is not the conclusion of what you wanna do in this moment. And Lord, I just wanna pray that as, uh, Lord, we wrestle with what's going on for ourselves here. God, I wanna pray for those here today that need your touch. Lord, I wanna pray for some brand new future narratives to replace some old ones. I wanna pray for some futures that look completely different from the past. 
God, I wanna pray for You to bring Your touch of healing physically into people's lives. God, I wanna pray that You'll breathe new confidence into people's spirits. Father, in this moment, we just wanna give You permission to do whatever it is that You wanna do. We're desperate for Your touch, Jesus, that transforms everything. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.